Are you ready to be transported back to 1800s high society London? Because season three of Bridgerton is now playing only on Netflix. This season follows the story of the Tons resident wallflower, Penelope Featherington, as she undergoes a journey of self-discovery and empowerment where we see her truly blossom. Penn's emotional transformation takes centre stage as her friendship with the charming Colin Bridgerton evolves into something more. For those not yet acquainted, Colin, the charming younger brother of the Bridgerton family, is about to turn Penelope's world upside down. Mm, This is the ultimate good friends to lovers story. From those initial butterflies to when both parties realise there might be something more between them, watch Bridgerton Season 3, now playing only on Netflix. Welcome to Shameless, the celebrity and pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne writers Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello and hello, producer Annabelle Hello. Hello. Coming up on today's show, the unapproved photo of Khloe Kardashian that was swiftly removed from every corner of the internet this week. Australia loses a fashion icon in Carla Zampatti. YouTuber James Charles finds himself in yet another scandal. And then... Australian media personality and influencer Abby Chatfield jumps on the hottest trend in health and wellness right now, sex toys. First, Michelle, how was your week? I spent an obscene amount of money this week. You know those weeks where you like... Did you you say that last week about Uber Eats? Yeah, I, okay, it's been a bad six weeks, <laughs> it's a bad I would life. say, as far as spending is concerned. But you know those weeks where you're like, I'm going out to dinner at quite fancy restaurants. I am just being pretty frivolous with my spending every single morning, every single night. I'm not going to look at my bank account. I brought myself to do it last night and the damage was even worse than what I thought it would be, which is not a good feeling. So for the rest of the month, just FYI for you both, because we work together most days of the week. I cannot be buying lunches. I cannot be buying coffees. I need to like be eating two-minute noodles the rest of the month. Okay, but you did already buy a coffee this morning. So that's great. <laughs> and also we have great work sandwiches. We you do. can't say no. We do. There is a place around the office where everyone is like pretty convinced that there's crack cocaine or something within the sandwiches because they are so <laughs> fucking they are very addictive. Good. I can't get any more of them. But I did have a great week. Mitch and I did a staycation over the Easter long weekend. We stayed at Crown in the city and then we went to like the Melbourne Comedy Festival. We just like enjoyed our own city, which was actually a really nice trivial thing. You do sound like an ambassador for tourists <laughs> in Victoria right now. And have you heard of staycations? <laughs> well, Zoe Foster Blake and Hamish Blake can like give me a slice of that pie if they're willing to. <laughs> I would love to be a Tourism Australia ambassador. But yes, I just really enjoyed getting around, like found new cocktail bars in Melbourne. Trinket is amazing. Have you guys been there? I have been there. Trinket's incredible. If you guys are in Melbourne, check it out. And yeah, just had the best weekend. It was really lovely. That is lovely. My recommendation for the week is a really unusual one. You guys know that I love the You're Wrong About podcast. That is a podcast out of the States between two journalists who I think are really incredible. Two years ago, they did an Explain a podcast on Marie Antoinette. Oh. I know it sounds dry as shit and like I was never good at history in high school I've never really taken an interest in like the French Revolution I know that even as I'm trying to sell it I'm probably putting more and more people off it this podcast was really interesting and incredible and one of the first historical retellings of a story from like what the 1700s or 1800s that I genuinely like. It would have been hard for them to do because I know You're Wrong About does a lot of retelling of historical events that are a bit more recent Mm. but to tell a story from the 1700s is like I guess there's a lot of literature around but it's not very interesting stuff to decode. Well they got an expert on the show as well who specialises in history of that time and I was just listening being like if only my history teachers at high school, not to put the blame onto them and take it off me, but if only they had taught history like this, I would have given so many fucks about history in high school if it was this interesting and told this way. Do they tell the let them eat cake story? Yes, they there do. You go. Well, let them eat brioche, apparently. <laughs> that is the ex- <laughs> Annabelle sitting here so blank. That is, I did study the French Revolution and that is about the extent of my memory of that time. I still don't know if I'm keen to listen, i got to be honest. Out of interest, Annabelle, who is Marie Antoinette? Do you know? 
I don't. <laughs> but on my Netflix list, there's a movie, Marie Antoinette with Kirsten oh, Dunst. Kirsten Dunst <laughs> I've always wanted to watch it. I'm pretty sure the cover art or whatever, the DVD cover <laughs> art from that is her just surrounded by cake, perhaps. Yeah. I don't know if I've just made that up, though. I Perhaps I might have. How was your week? Week was good. I got to Queensland, which was very touch and go there last week. Yeah, given... you weren't sure if you were going to end up in Queensland or stuck in Victoria for another couple months. Yeah, which would have been fine. It would have absolutely been fine. Is <laughs> it Victoria? Yeah, <laughs> Victoria. But I did get to Noosa, which was wonderful, but I think perhaps it might have been the only city in Australia that rained, which was fine. It was just hilarious when we bumped into a lot of people from Melbourne who had made the trek up to Noosa for the long weekend and everyone's like, it's fucking 30 degrees in Hobart right now. (laughs) We should have gone to Hobart. It was really lovely. I read a couple of books, which was awesome. One that I really liked was a novel called It's Been a Pleasure, Noni Blake by Claire Christian. It is Claire's adult debut book. And I read this because a lot of people in our book club Facebook group had suggested it to me. So Mm. I posted like a very vague question in the Facebook group being like, I need a book, but not too heavy. You're that annoying person who's like, (laughs) just do all the work for me. Absolutely. (laughs) And they did. So they gave me this one as a recommendation and it was really, really nice. I would kind of brand it as like a a rom-com, like a millennial (gasps) rom-com type, but not like your stereotypical rom-com, I wouldn't think. She sort of does subvert a lot of the normal things you expect in a rom-com, i.e. having like a straight protagonist and all those kinds of things, like a younger protagonist. So I really enjoyed it. I flicked through it really, really fast. A lot of sex if you're interested in reading about sex. I've got to say, I do not pick up on a lot of sex from the title It's Been a Pleasure, Noni Blake. Noni is not a name that I associate (laughs) with sexy behaviour. No, well, it's funny because I wasn't expecting it either and I was reading it on the plane and I went away with my whole family. So I'm sitting on like a row of people (laughs) like surrounded by like my sister and my parents and I'm opening up. And you know that awkward thing of knowing that you're reading a sex scene around <laughs> she people. spread her legs. I'm like, oh my God, like the shame, the blush. But no, great book. So we'll put the link to that one in our show notes. A great Aussie author too. Love that so, so much. Guys, before we move on to today's first segment, we do have to tell you all that you need to keep your eyes out and your fingers ready for Friday, 8am Melbourne time. I would love to give you the letters that correspond, like ju- A-E-D-S-T or whatever it's called, it's, but I don't know, it's, just Melbourne time. It's Australian Eastern Standard time and I gotta say coming off the back of a conversation about sex and you saying get your fingers ready feels a bit <laughs> I was just like waiting for you to tell them what the hell we're even talking about. But our charity teas are coming back one last time. Yeah, exactly right. So we teamed up with Charm Offensive. We wanted to do a second round of charity teas to raise money for anti-discrimination causes. We know that anti-Asian hate crimes have been on the rise around the world. So we thought, what can we do? Well, let's do another drop of our charity merch. Typically, you guys would know we donate our proceeds towards anti-violence, particularly violence against women or family violence charities like Safe Step or like Jira. This time around, though, we will be donating to All Together Now. Just to help out the cause, it's really important to everyone in the Shameless office and we're excited for you guys to get behind it. So keep an eye out on our newsletter and on our Instagram stories. We'll pop a link for you guys to swipe up and shop and buy the new tees. They sold out last time in like half an hour, Zara. So these are hot property and they they are are fucking cool if I do say so myself. They are wonderful. So that is Friday morning. Keep your eyes peeled. But for now, Michelle, we have to have a chat about the image that the Kardashians want killed. An image that somehow feels more black market than like a drug deal on the dark web. So if you miss this, on Tuesday morning Australia time, an unphotoshopped image of Khloe Kardashian's body made it online. This was newsworthy because we haven't seen an unphotoshopped photo of a Kardashian in what feels like five years. So this photo goes up, it gets shared on Reddit, gets shared across news websites online, Instagram pages, and then it was almost like you snap your fingers. Within a few hours, the Kardashian family has removed the image everywhere, scrubbed the internet clean. Which is so odd to me because when I first saw this story around, like the Kardashians were trying to get this photo of Khloe Kardashian killed, I was like, how can you possibly kill an image from the internet? But it very much feels like they have. Like anytime you open a news article about this, it is very rare you'll see this image. Like you'll have to dig pretty deep to find it. And essentially what the photo is, as Mish said, is Khloe Kardashian standing by a pool. She's in like a leopard print bikini. But the point of the matter is it's untouched. And I can't remember seeing Khloe Kardashian look like clearly Khloe Kardashian in, I was going to say a decade, Mish, like genuinely such a long time. The family didn't come out and acknowledge it. Khloe didn't come out and acknowledge it. But KKW Brands came out and released a statement, which I can't even quite 
work out the dots there. KKW Brands is obviously Kim Kardashian's business. It's not even Good American, which is Chloe's business. So KKW Brands Chief Marketing Officer Tracy Romulus. Now, <laughs> for very loyal listeners, you might remember that Tracy Romulus is actually a friend of the show. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know if we can say that. She did comment on one of our posts accusing Northwest of not painting that painting earlier this year. Yes, and she said that Northwest painted it. Anyway, so <laughs> I think she's always a frenemy of the show then. She didn't like us. No, she was polite though, so we'll go with friend. Anyway, she said in a statement that while Chloe looks beautiful in the image, it is within the right of the copyright owner to have it taken down. She said the colour edited photo was taken of Chloe during a private family gathering and posted to social media without permission by mistake by an assistant. Hmm. Interesting, because they've really pushed the narrative that an assistant put this photo out. But whispers on the internet indicate that it was actually Chloe's grandmother, MJ, (laughs) who took the photo on the family vacation, put it up on her personal Instagram, and then other people took it from there and kind of spread it, which I must say sounds like the most logical and realistic version of events. I feel like Kardashian assistants would be so well trained. That's what I was thinking. In maintaining this idea of doctored perfection and doctored images. And they would know that there's a very clear process from an image of a Kardashian being taken to that image being edited, approved and posted. Whereas a grandmother on a family holiday might not know that process and might just put something up on a whim. An assistant makes zero sense to me, to be totally honest with you. Like absolutely zero sense. I mean, I found it very interesting. There was an Instagram account called Problematic Fame, which bills itself as an account that is trying to spread awareness, and this is on their bio, on how Instagram can impact beauty standards. And they initially posted the photo of Khloe Kardashian and told Demois, which is the American gossip account, that they were contacted by Kardashian PR to take down the photo Mm. and now they say they cannot legally speak on it further. So anyone that posted this photo has largely taken it down and then has then put their hands up and said, I can't talk about this anymore. Which is so interesting because I always held the belief that once something is on the internet, it lives on the internet forever, right? Like we have heard that for so long that like the digitization of news means that these things live forever. You cannot wipe the internet clean. And yet somehow the Kardashian family is so powerful. They got into every nook and cranny of the web and took this photo down. Like this photo is now part of like a black market. That's how contraband it is online. And they have followed copyright law to the nth degree to make sure people can't reshare this. Yeah, well, that and intellectual property. I mean, a lot of people might be listening to this and thinking, okay, well, what makes this story in particular newsworthy? Like it's a photo, it's been taken down. But I think the timing of this is quite interesting. Like there's been a lot of murmurings and conversations about Khloe Kardashian photoshopping her photos to the nth degree, particularly for her good American shoots. And people are saying like, at what point do we say this is not real life anymore? And so on the back of that, to see an unedited photo, you start to realise the extent to which these images are edited. And I do think that is newsworthy. And I do think that's an important conversation. Yeah, well, they're two completely different bodies. And you and I have seen a lot of the headlines around Khloe Kardashian come out over the last 12 months. We've tossed around the idea of making it a segment, but we've always felt uncomfortable because It's ambiguous, right? Like you don't want to talk too closely about one woman's body. But I think this particular instance where KKW Brands came out and said, we want this photo down and unashamedly said that makes it a story because it's very clear just how tightly the Kardashians have this stranglehold on their own image and the image of perfection that they want to put out. And that image of perfection is completely fake. It's completely doctored and they know that and they're still pushing it. And I find myself in this very unusual place, like this very conflicted place where I understand and I admit that the Kardashians are promulgating like a very harmful narrative about beauty. They are pushing fake bodies into the world that then young girls are drinking flat tummy tea to try and attain, which are completely unattainable. Even with plastic surgery, Khloe Kardashian and Kardashians don't look like they purport to look like on social media. And yet the other part of my brain really sympathises with Khloe Kardashian. The rhetoric that Khloe is the heavier, taller, uglier Kardashian sister has been brutal and toxic ever since she became famous. Like even the the storylines or the question marks around who her father is because she couldn't possibly share the same genetics as Kim and Courtney is super loaded. Like that kind of language and that kind of coverage within the media has always been pointing to the fact that she doesn't look 
exactly like her sister's look. And I can't begin to imagine what that would do to a person. What not only becoming famous, but becoming famous in the context that you are not the most attractive sister. That's a huge weight for someone to bear. And it's really thoroughly unsurprising that she has changed underneath that weight like any of us would. She clearly struggles with the same shit that we all struggle with. And I would say struggles with it quite badly. So I feel sympathy for Khloe Kardashian and she is a victim at the same time as she is a perpetrator of harmful body image. It's a really hard one because I agree with you. Like it's incredibly hard to expect women, even higher profile women, to not be affected by the same toxic messaging that we've all been forced to swallow since we were born. Like why would she be above that? She's not superhuman. And yet I just wonder, is that enough of an excuse for perpetuating unrealistic standards? And like, we are almost talking beyond unrealistic standards Mm. now. Like we are talking about imaginary standards and messing with the minds of young women and young girls everywhere. I think it's one thing to know and understand your own insecurities. It's another to make a conscious effort to not push them onto other people and to understand how your insecurities affect other people. And I think, yes, it's natural that she's going to be affected by the same things that we all are. But surely after this long in the public eye, she has a little bit of self-awareness to think, okay, I have these insecurities, but I'm not going to push them onto other people. Because that's the reality of high-profile women everywhere, to think, of course they have insecurities, but it's my job to not let those insecurities permeate the public consciousness. And it's one thing to be compassionate towards women who get plastic surgery. Like I wrote about this in our book, The Space Between. I have no ill feelings towards any woman who wants to get plastic surgery or wants to get filler or Botox. Like to be completely transparent with the listeners, I envisage myself getting cosmetic procedures or injectables later on in my life. That's one thing and I'll put that in one camp. However, for her to then be doctoring images on top of that is another layer that I just feel like is so deceitful to your audience that I don't think there's an excuse for. I can be totally fine with the plastic surgery, but the Photoshop is like another kettle of fish that I'm not sure I can be super glowing towards. I do want to say as well, like in 2017, we had that image of Kim Kardashian. I wonder if the listeners will remember this, an image of her bottom, which wasn't from like an approved paparazzo. So a pap got a shot of her bum and released it to the masses and there was cellulite on it. And it's well known at this stage in the game that the Kardashians work with certain paparazzi They then edit those paparazzi shots. They give them back to the paparazzi. They sell them on and the Kardashians get a cut of that profit. Like that's a pretty well-known way that they make money as a family. This pap wasn't in the family's inner circle, released the cellulite photo and it went absolutely viral. I hoped at that point that Kim would come out and be like, yes, I have cellulite. Every woman has cellulite. Embrace it. She didn't. Back in 2017, she gave quotes to the media that said, I saw these awful photos of myself when I was on a trip in Mexico and people were photoshopping them and sharpening them and they're the worst photos. I definitely was not in my best shape. I hadn't worked out in about 12 weeks. I was like, okay, I'm going to get it together. And I started working out with this bodybuilder girl. That bodybuilder girl is still Kim Kardashian's trainer to this day. And I just feel like the one real image we had in the public consciousness was then like, no, that's edited to make me look bad. I'm sloppy. I need to lift my game. When it should have been, I'm fine as I am. Women are fine as they are. Let's just fucking embrace ourselves once instead of trying to like constantly knit and pick at our own bodies. Yeah, because obviously the implication there is if she's saying that she hates those photos of herself and if she doesn't look good, then anyone who by extension looks like that doesn't look good. I mean, I would be lying to myself if I didn't say I looked at this photo of Khloe Kardashian, which is beautiful, by the way, and say, oh, okay, that makes more sense. That just simply makes more sense. And that makes me feel better about myself. I think a lot of women would be lying to themselves if they didn't say that. And it's interesting because I always look at Kardashian photos and know that logically they just simply aren't real. And I make a conscious effort to dismiss them. Like I don't look at a Kardashian photo and think that must be real. Like Mm. I just never do. But it's not, I think, until you see the comparison of what they look like and the image that they present that you realise, of course, it has an effect. Like, of course, it has an effect, even subconsciously, because even if you know the photoshopped thing isn't real, you still don't know what is real. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, you don't know what the real body is behind that. One element that really stood out about the doctored images to me after seeing the real photo of Khloe Kardashian's body was this smoothening effect that they put on their skin. Like I saw Khloe Kardashian's real skin in the real unedited photo and I was like, that's how human skin looks. It doesn't look like this completely textureless, glowing, 
vampire-like skin. Her skin looks like skin in real life. And the fact that I hadn't seen that in so many years literally shocked me. And I agree with you. I felt better about myself when I looked at this photo. I instantly was like, light bulb, this is what people look like in real life. <laughs> yeah, it's it's ridiculous. And it's so funny hearing you talk about that skin sort of flattening, sort of shining mm tool, whatever it might be, reminds me of that photo of Kendall Jenner that went viral a couple of months ago in that red bikini. Do you guys know the one I'm talking about? She was like standing tall and she had this red bikini on and her skin is clearly so photoshopped. And yet that photo went so viral. Everybody being like, this is the most perfect photo in the entire world. This is the most perfect body in the entire world. And it's just so curious to me after this many years of having the Kardashians in the public eye that none of us turn around every single time and say, Yeah, it's her body, but it's not her real body. Yeah. One question that does come to mind is by KKW brands admitting that they're trying to wipe this photo off the internet and by the family like so doggedly going after every person who posts it, whether that's on Reddit or on a media publication or on Instagram, does that unwittingly draw more attention to the original image and kind of like completely erase all the work to actually undo it? Well, this is so interesting because we were sitting in the office yesterday when we were reading about this story, having that same kind of conversation. We were saying like, this must simply draw more attention to it. But now I'm sitting here and I kind of don't think that it does. I think actually it doesn't draw more attention to it because people can't really find the image anywhere. And it's not like it's going to be circulated in every major news outlet. Like it probably would be if they Mm. didn't pull it down. Everybody would jump on this and I think far less people are going to see it. Yeah, I agree with that. I also think if someone has a vested interest in taking something off the internet, they probably have more power than what I've thought in the past. Like if there's something that should not be on the internet, it can and should be taken down. Like I don't think we can keep parroting this line that like things have to live forever. The Kardashians got a bikini photo removed in a day. Surely we can get more harmful videos removed quicker than that. Coming up after the break, a celebrity pet owl and why so many celebrities are jumping on the sex toy train. First word from today's sponsor. And now it's time for the quick and dirty. As always, we bring you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle. Zara, Alice with an E, McDonald, what have you got for me? My first story, feminist immigrant icon, how Carla Zampatti built her fashion legacy. That is from The Guardian. Some sad news out of Sydney this week, Mish. Yeah, really sad. Carla Zampatti, for those who might be listening internationally, is a really championed designer from Australia. She has built an incredible empire over the course of her life. She was 78 when she died at Sydney St. Vincent's Hospital on Saturday morning, Really tragically, she'd sustained a fall at the Opera House, Zara, which just seems so horrific and tragic to happen. Yeah, it feels like one of those things that almost like super avoidable. And I know like all death feels avoidable and tragic, but I think just a trip at somewhere so public like the Opera House just feels so odd that she's now not with us anymore. Carla Zampetti was born in Italy in 1942. She immigrated to Australia at the age of about nine, I think. Mm. And she set up her now famous fashion label at the age of 24, which was super young back at the time. I mean, super young to be starting anything now, a fashion label, but particularly back then. Yeah, I think she was also a beacon of light for a lot of migrants to Australia, particularly European migrants. She really did show what you can cultivate when you come here and she built such an incredible business. The business was also rocked at different stages of her life, like when she went through quite an awful divorce with her ex-husband. It was almost put on the brink of collapse, I think. Yeah, no, it absolutely was. In her memoir, she wrote a memoir a few years ago called My Life, My Look, and she said that her business nearly did fall apart because her ex-husband was really involved in the business. And so when they split, she had to overcome how the business was going to survive without him. And I think what was really hard is after her divorce, she wasn't able to get a bank loan at all because women back then weren't able to get a bank loan without her husband. So she had to to borrow $5,000 from her cousin to open her first boutique in 1972. So at her peak, Carla Zampatti had 30 stores nationally as well as an exclusive partnership with David Jones. I think you only had to look at some of the tributes that came out since the weekend to see how adored this woman was, what an impressive 
impression she left on so many people. I mean, she was also huge in the celebrity and pop culture space. Her clothes were worn by everyone from the likes of Julia Gillard to Nigella Lawson, Miranda Kerr, Ruby Rose. She really maintained relevancy throughout her entire career, which is also so rare in fashion that you can have real relevancy in the 1970s and women in the 2010s are still desperate to wear your clothes. Yeah, I was thinking that a lot when I was reading a lot of tributes to Carla Zampatti, just the amount of women that have been dressed by her in the past and continue to still be dressed by her. Like that sense of relevance is insane. You all might have heard of Bianca Spender. She is Carla's daughter. She also has her own fashion line and she wrote on Instagram today, today I lost my mother, my inspiration, my mentor and my friend. I am lost for words and totally heartbroken. So a pretty sad one there, but her legacy on fashion is completely undeniable and is going to be clearly followed by her daughter Bianca and her other kids who still work in the family business. Mm. My second story, Ben Affleck makes rare comment about ex-fiance Jennifer Lopez. That is from Hello Mag. Magazine. Did you see this one around, Mish? This story feels like it should have been published in like 2001 or something. <laughs> okay, apart from the fact they weren't actually dating in 2001, <laughs> they started dating in 2002. My bad. If you missed it, this week InStyle actually released this incredible cover story of Jennifer Lopez to celebrate 30 years in the business. 30 years is such a long amount of time and... She just, I know we say this all the fucking time. But Very she, hot person. Yeah, she, ages, <laughs> she ages backwards. I'm just going to call her Jennifer Benjamin Button Lopez. Anyway. Is there any chance she's editing her photos? Well, but She looks this hot in movies, so maybe not. Yeah, and also a lot of these photos are other people uploading them. Also yes. think about Super Bowl last year. So true. Oh, I, I can't forget. Yeah, you, I actually <laughs> sat in my bedroom a couple of weeks ago and watched that from start to end. I think during the last, like, this year's Super Bowl and I was like, oh, I miss the J-Lo and Shakira. Anyway, so InStyle did this incredible profile and what they did, it was something I haven't really seen as much, is they just got a whole bunch of people, a whole bunch of famous people who know Jennifer Lopez to comment on Jennifer Lopez, people like Michelle Obama and her ex-partners. So Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez were together. They started dating in about 2002. They split in about 2004. They were engaged that time. Quick engagement. Quick engagement. They also split four months after their wedding had been postponed. So they postponed their wedding because they said the media attention was too much and it was getting too stressful. And then four months later, they were ending. Isn't that exactly what J-Lo has done with A-Rod? She's postponed her wedding saying the media attention is the reason. And that also COVID. Remember, we only talked about this like two weeks ago. I know, but my mind's like a sieve right now. (laughs) (laughs) History repeating itself. I do love the idea of a magazine reaching out to ex-partners. Like as much as that terrifies me because I would hate to think what any of the men that I've dated in my life would say about me now. It seems quite lovely in this context. after enough time, it's been more than sort of 17 years, you'd think that'd be a lovely quote. And there is. So Ben Affleck said, I thought I had a good work ethic, but I was completely humbled and blown away by what she was committed to doing day in and day out. The seriousness in which she took her work, the quiet and dedicated way she went about accomplishing her goals, and then how she would go back and redouble her efforts. Ben Affleck! Very sweet. I know, I know. And I'm trying to like fight this urge to think that Ben Affleck is a lovely guy because of this point. <laughs> but it wasn't just Ben Affleck who spoke very nicely. Her ex-husband, Mark Antony, also said very similar things. The thread of this article is just how stupidly hard she works. He said, the thing about Jennifer is her ability to see and understand things before they happen. Before she even brings an idea up, she has visualised it a thousand times. And if anyone says it might not be the greatest idea, she'll say, you just don't see it yet. Nine times out of ten, she'll nail it. Nine times out of ten is only... neg. Yeah, I was like, it's only like 90%. <laughs> She's that 10% though, she fucking cooks it. She's the first one in the room and the last to leave. The hardest worker I've ever met. When we were together, it was quite the opposite for me. That has changed since. I have learned so much from her. She is the original. Now, think about this, right? You've got two exes speaking absolutely beautifully about Jennifer Lopez. And in what is a pretty incredible power move in this entire thing, A-Rod is not included. (gasps) So if, as we said in the last episode or the last couple of episodes of Shameless, A-Rod has done the dirty on J-Lo and they're trying to work it all out, imagine then having this incredible profile and in-style released to celebrate 30 years in the business. She's looking beautiful and she's got two exes saying she's the best person (laughs) in the world. Like, that is insane. I wonder if, I mean, I'm clearly reading too much into this and I'll put my hand up and acknowledge that if you read one of these quotes from a man that you used to be in love with and they're thinking about you so glowingly and then you're remembering all the glowing things about them would it 
potentially trigger like you two getting back together. No, because I think she does have relationships with both of these exes. Like not close ones, but I think she's civil. I mean, she has kids with Mark Antony. She sounds amazing. She does sound incredible. And the thing is, you could say lovely things about your ex, but you also don't forget. I wouldn't though. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. (laughs) But like you could say lovely things about your ex, but you don't forget the other shit and why you're not with them. Yeah, maybe. Maybe I'm just like such a sucker for the Hollywood narrative and it's kind of common for like celebrities to kind of go back to their exes more so than I would say maybe the average person. Well, yeah, and it also doesn't help that her and A-Rod seem to very clearly be on rocky ground right now. A-Rod sucks. I'm just going to say it. I want to not, maybe maybe not Ben Affleck, but maybe Mark Antony. Who knows? I've got kids together. My third story. James Charles has apologised for adding underage fans on Snapchat and flirting with them. That is from Pedestrian. Here we are again, guys. I love that you just pass this straight to me because you're like, YouTube story, I'm checking out. I just don't understand what's happened again. Annabelle, you're into YouTube, aren't you? Yes, I am, but I never really followed James Charles. Interesting. Okay. I have followed James Charles for years now and I probably need to check my own bias because I've actually been a pretty big fan of his as well over the last few years. So for those who do need background on James Charles, he's 21. He's the world's most followed beauty influencer and makeup guru. He was involved in the Bi Sister scandal a couple of years back, Zara, between Tardy Westbrook and Jeffree Star. I do not care to retrace that entire saga because, to be honest, even as someone who investigated it, I'm still not quite sure what it was about. (laughs) I'm actually sitting here being like, if you gave me a million dollars on the table right now, I don't know if I could remember exactly the details of what happened. No, we did a massive segment on that in like 2019. So if you're really so inclined, go back and listen to it. But we simply don't have time to retrace every moment in that scandal because it went on for about 18 months. This particular scandal, though, has been bubbling on TikTok and on Twitter for a few weeks now. Over the last few days, James Charles has come out and done a video where he's acknowledged claims from two separate teenagers that say he was inappropriately sexting them via Snapchat when they are underage. James Charles got on his video on YouTube and said that he was unreservedly sorry that both of these teenagers had lied to him about their ages and told him that they were 18. Upon learning that they weren't 18, he says he blocked them and kind of removed all trace of them from his life because he felt so terrible. One teenager did speak to Insider and denied claims that he ever claimed to be 18. The other teenager has not responded to requests for comment. But super messy and very blurry. We have a lot of people online calling James Charles a pedophile. And then we have people online saying he made a mistake. He should have verified their ages more clearly, but this could happen to anyone. I think the first thing that comes to mind is this is not the first time that James Charles has got in trouble with being inappropriate online, right? Especially with underage people. My first thought is if this is in your history, like if you do have a history of this and a public history, as if this is not the first thing you're doing every time you're going online and meeting Mm. someone who looks young, Mm. as if you're not checking, that sort of excuse I didn't know doesn't really check out for me. Because even if it's true, I think it's your job now to do due diligence to make sure you're not committing the same things you've committed before and admitted to committing. What's really interesting is that In his video, he did say, oh, I would provide all the receipts that they told me they were 18, but I don't want this to become he said, she said, I need to do better, there's no excuse. And I understand that rhetoric of like, I fucked up, that's all that matters. But I think as something as serious as this when it comes to messaging minors, we actually do need receipts. Like if you're saying they told you that they were 18, I need to see that because this is now a chasm. Are you someone who was lied to and was a little reckless and a little foolish and should have verified things more but is really just a victim of your own stupidity and recklessness? Or are you a person who is knowingly messaging and sexting a 16-year-old? There is a chasm between those two things. And as much as I don't want it to become he said, she said, I think it's very important to actually give proof here. If you're saying they told you they were 18, show me that. Well, it's already he said, he said. Like, we're already there. So I'm not sure what's going to change by proving that, you know, he's telling the truth or he's not. I think that's the frustrating thing to me. In his video, we will put a snippet here of the apology so you can listen for yourself. As an adult, it is my job and my responsibility to verify who I'm talking to, and therefore there is no one to blame for this other than myself. To the guys involved with this situation, I wanna say I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I added you, I'm sorry that I flirted with you, and I'm really sorry if I ever made you uncomfortable. It is completely unacceptable. My fourth story, Prince Harry and Prince William managed to put differences aside for Princess Diana statue report. That is from Vanity Fair. 
A quick one out of the UK. As we all know, following the interview that Harry and Meghan did with Oprah and the fact that Gail King came out after the interview and said that conversations between Prince Harry and Prince William were not productive, Prince Harry and Prince William do not have a very good relationship at the moment. However, a statue of Princess Diana is going to be unveiled at Kensington Palace on July 1, which would have been her 60th birthday. Wow. So the brothers have had to collaborate on the statue and kind of make sure it's not fucked. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they're like, that does look like mum, that doesn't look like mum. The funniest part about this, sorry, I shouldn't laugh, is if they're not talking and collaborating well, the statue may well be terrible. <laughs> it might be terrible. I'm sure it's not, but they are reportedly sort of working together. The sense that I'm getting from this Vanity Fair report is they're not actually talking to each other. They are speaking through their cousin, Zara Tyndall, who is the daughter of Prince Anne. It's where my mother actually first heard the name Zara and, 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 and here I am. <laughs> anyway, not, not to make this about me. Um, so, yeah, Zara and her husband Mike Tyndall are reportedly being the mediators between the two brothers. But what's going to be interesting is they are going to have to turn up at the unveiling of the statue but sources have told Vanity Fair that they likely won't be posing for photos together mm. at this thing. So that'll be really interesting to see whether they actually decide to go arm in arm and have a photo together, whether they'll be on like awkwardly on one side of the statue each or if they just won't be photographed together at all. Imagine if they were both photographed in the same spot but at like different times of the day and then they could just superimpose one of the brothers <laughs> next to them and we would never know. They might do that. Like who mm. knows? I don't think things are ever going to be good between these two. I don't know how they can be. Like can you really come back from doing a globally recognised interview where you rightly slam the family. Can you ever recover? Yeah, I think you can. But what I would say is it's a shame because I think usually in these scenarios, and this is just like a real generalisation. <laughs> fun. Here we go. Is that often kids bring families back together? If there are estranged members of the family, if one of the members has a baby, it can sometimes bring a family back together, but there are already kids in the picture here. Yeah. So I think it'll take a lot of time, but I would be surprised if they didn't piece it back together but honestly what do I know <laughs> I just don't know like they live on separate continents now I truly don't see Harry and Meghan ever moving back to the UK I don't see Prince William and Kate ever mo moving to the US what's going to bring them back together like I think there's going to be a literal geographical distance between them as well as an emotional one it's a long life Michelle Andrews you never know <laughs> My fifth story. Good morning to literally nobody except Selma Hayek and the owl that sleeps in her room. That is from Pedestrian. If you didn't know, Mexican-American actress Selma Hayek is married to a billionaire, first of all. I didn't know that. Her French billionaire husband is worth $47 billion. Yeah, he's not just a billionaire. He's a 40 times billionaire. Yes, she is married to a billionaire and for Valentine's Day one year decided the only thing you can buy a billionaire – that is worthwhile is a southern white-faced owl. Now, do you know why she bought him an owl specifically? Isn't it the symbol of his very rich company? Yeah, so he has this company called Caring, I think, and the logo is an owl. So she bought him an owl and called the owl Caring. But he didn't really want the owl, so now <laughs> the owl is hers. Fun fact, she has been with this guy. His name is Francois Henry Pinot, which is my best French I can do. They've been <laughs> together for more than 15 years. Right. Which is a long time in Hollywood. That's like 700 years in normal life. I feel like that's a longer time to be married to a billionaire. I don't think billionaires would be very fun to be married to, oh, in all honesty. Are you kidding? Fucking cash money. They would <laughs> never be home. They would have no interest in like domestic life or like chilling out. They're constantly working, constantly yeah. in business. That might work for her because she does work a lot too. And she did say, interesting, good segui from Michelle. <laughs> she says when he does travel for work, that's when she lets the owl sleep in her bed. That's what she does for company. How does an owl sleep in a bed? Does the owl literally lie on its side, put its head on the pillow and like close its eyes? Doesn't an owl sleep standing upright? She said, when my husband is not in town, she sleeps in the room with me. We have certain routines before we go to sleep. <laughs> I watch the TV with my iPad. She likes to stand on the iPad. Right. I'm wondering if the owl goes, I know this doesn't matter really. I'm just trying to visualize Selma Hayek and the owl in bed. Maybe the owl kind of like pops itself up on the bed frame and sleeps vertically. Do they sleep standing up? Oh, baby owls sleep face down. <laughs> oh, that's dark. Owls kind of freak me out though. Hang on. Do owls lay down to go to sleep? Owls sleep upright. Baby owls sleep on their faces. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all I've got for you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank you, next bitch.
This week, former reality star turned podcaster, influencer and entrepreneur Abby Chatfield announced she partnered with a sex toy brand to release her own vibrator. She joins a long line of international celebrities who have also released sex toys of some form in the last year in a sign that sexual wellness is kind of like the new self-care. Mish, what have you noticed about how sex is selling a little bit differently these days? I'm still trying to forget a baby ass living <laughs> Sex toys. Okay, the way I see it sold differently, I think anyway, over the last 18 months to two years, is we've gone from like a Cosmo sealed section vibe of selling sex toys to a Vogue vibe of selling sex toys. Sex toys can now be like sophisticated, aspirational, high end. They're almost a marker of how seriously you take wellness these days. Like, do you have a bougie vibrator? If you do, you're like on a higher level of wellness than the rest of us. I remember hearing news in 2017 that the then editor of Vogue Australia, Christy Clemens, was leaving to go start a luxury sex toy lingerie brand. And I remember hearing this and being like, what? Like in 2017 to my younger, more immature brain, I was like, what the fuck? Like that is just such a deviation that I really can't get my head around it. And yet four years on, it feels like Christy Clements, although she has since left the business, was so on the pulse with that move. Like So on the pulse. This is something that has just exploded and has gone from being taboo and secretive and not trashy. Like I don't want to use that negative term, but I'm trying to think of something like niche. Niche, but also like not classy to something that is the definition of class. Like this is now high-end and cool and luxury. Yeah, and I think when you say it wasn't deemed classy, I think it wasn't even necessarily the acts of it not being classy. It's how we've always spoken about women's relationship Mm. with their own sexuality. Like it's never deemed something that's been very classy. It's always deemed something that's been kind of trashy. which Low brow. Yeah, Yeah. which is strange. I mean, it feels to me that there is like this new wave of influencers who have really shed shame when it comes to talking about sex and pleasure online, right? And I think the interesting thing for me is that I haven't always gravitated to this content online, but now I feel like it's popping up in a really mainstream way that's not stuck to corners of the internet. Like you don't have to seek it out. It's just there, which feels new and different. And at the moment, these conversations about sex toys and vibrators and sexual wellness feels like the most pure form of a relationship between you and you. And I feel like this is what brands at the moment are taking advantage of and it's working. Yeah. It feels on every level to be far more feminist than other wellness trends we've seen. Like a vibrator is entirely designed to give you pleasure, not to change your appearance or do something for someone else's benefit. Like this is purely for your own benefit. And I really love that. And I think there is a deviation here. I remember we discussed vajacial masks. Yes. Last year, there was a popular model who launched a vagina facial mask that was designed to like make you look more plump and like brighten your vulva and the messaging around that was for your partner like yes it was a little bit for you but like your partner will love this this isn't that this is very much all about your benefit and your enjoyment what I find interesting is I did some research and I went and looked at the top sexual wellness brands that are out there right now. And that is how they're branding themselves, sexual wellness, not sexual pleasure or sexual enjoyment. And I wanted to look at the brand slogans that they're picking because I think it says a lot about how differently sex is sold to us in 2021 to years before it. Some of the most popular slogans were pioneering self-love, modern intimacy and a personal care company. When Abby announced that she was creating a vibrator, she included the line in her announcement post, come celebrate self-love with me. It's very wholesome for something that hasn't always been seen to be wholesome. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think it's probably half the reason that these brands have been able to do quite well at a time where sex workers and people online have been talking about sex for decades. Mm. And I think that's probably one part of this conversation that should be acknowledged is that this conversation has been happening online. And I think a lot of the people who are selling sex to us in a different way do owe a lot of the success or their success to women who have been doing it for a very long time in a way where they haven't been celebrated. Mm. But I do have to agree. I think half the reason that it's been successful is because 
as we know, wellness has had such a moment for the last few years. It's also been heavily commercialized to be about our relationship with ourselves and it sold us a bucket load of products in the process. But this does feel like the one way that wellness has been commodified where I don't really care as much. I think in the past, as you said, like anytime vaginal health, and I put health in inverted commas there, was flaunted online, it had been in a way that had like weaponized insecurities. I'm thinking of those facial masks too, but also stuff like that changed the natural odor. Yeah. Of your vagina. And I feel like all of these things have been marketed to us in a way that we're caring about ourselves if we use them. But in reality, they're not built for us. They're built on the assumption that that part of our body needs to be fixed for other people around us, namely our sexual partners, be them female or male. Mm. And when it comes to sex toys and sexual wellness, it is, as I said, like you and you, you're not doing this for anyone else but yourself. Yeah, and we have seen these truly boom since COVID as well. I was reading an article in Vogue that really links back the sex toy surge to COVID-19. Like the New York City Health Department last year put out a press release encouraging people to masturbate instead of having sex with new partners. This was the quote, masturbation will not spread COVID-19, especially if you wash your hands and sex toys with soap and water for at least 20 seconds before and after sex. Last year, we were really encouraged to have sex with ourselves and not other people. We were also pushed into our homes. It's no surprise that these online sex brands have boomed. And I mean, some of the names that have attached themselves to these sex brands are Cara Delevingne, the Victoria's Secret model and actress. Dakota Johnson is now the ambassador for a sex toy and sexual lubricant brand. We've got Gwyneth Paltrow earlier this year released her own vibrator. This is the new celebrity fragrance. Like instead of releasing perfumes, people are releasing sex toys. Yeah, and so many publications have been writing articles about this. Like in December, Vogue wrote, are sex toys a new celebrity endorsed fragrance? Teen Vogue also wrote about it in December. Vice wrote something similar in February and so did Page Six. I think the buzz has everything to do with a lot of celebrities attaching their names to this. I think one you also didn't mention was Lily Allen. And in that piece for Teen Vogue that I just touched on, the writer Brittany McNamara wrote, Variety reported in April that talent agencies are looking for new ways for clients to make money, steering some toward voiceover and endorsement work, obviously because of the pandemic. Particularly pleasing to celebrities, Variety reported, are gigs that include charitable components. While fronting a sex toy company isn't exactly charity, it does hold social benefits. Promoting solo sex during a time when partnered sex can perpetuate a deadly pandemic is basically a public health message. Mm. I find that very interesting that, yes, I think in 2021, a lot of the work that celebrities do now kind of almost has to have some sort of good component to it. Like we are very quick to call out people that do things that might be damaging. And when you're tying yourself to a brand that is promoting a relationship between you and you, Mm. that is absolutely a public health message. It's a care message. I mean, even the announcement from the brand that released Abby Chatfield's vibrator positioned itself as almost this like feminist empowerment message. They wrote a powerful internal G-spot vibrator that's all about claiming your power and changing the narrative around your pleasure. It's time to celebrate yourself and give your sexual wellness story the happy ending it deserves. The hashtags included self-care, me time, love yourself, self-love club. Does this bother you? Because I think anytime I usually see empowerment thrown in as a marketing message, I'm always a bit like eye roll. Like Mm. how much does this really have an impact on empowerment? But I'm really trying so hard to think about this from every single angle. And I'm like, this kind of does feel like a redirection of the narrative. Like this very much feels like a conversation women have not had. It feels very much like a confidence women have not been allowed to have for so long. Like in that way, I guess it is feminist and I guess it is empowerment. And if you want to use that to market the product, then go for it. I think it's absolutely feminist. Like I genuinely don't have an issue with the way this is being sold. I think it's also getting women to an endpoint. Like there is a very clear benefit if you're going to orgasm using this then like, great, it's actually giving customers something that's good for their health and good for their happiness and means that they can kind of do that for themselves and be independent. Like they don't need to go outside themselves to find that form of happiness and that form of joy. I also really appreciate that someone of Abby Chatfield's platform and size is putting her name to this. She is one of the biggest celebrities in Australia to endorse this, one of the first celebrities. I know that we have Flex Mommy who has been doing this type of stuff since she began influencing on Instagram. She's really built her audience off the back of being sex positive, which we absolutely adore her for. 
But for Abby Chatfield, this came after. I feel like fame came first and then she attached herself to this, which is also powerful because it's a risk. And I think in this instance, it's a risk that is going to really pay off because she's finally giving voice to something that women have wanted to see in the mainstream forever. Yeah, and they're finally given permission to be able to care about it and talk about it publicly. I mean, Vogue made a really interesting point in their piece last year where they said another reason that this has absolutely boomed is just because you don't have to go into seedy sex stores anymore. Like this is defined as beauty and care and you can buy them often when you buy like beauty items or lipstick. Like it is not a case of having to go somewhere random and purchase it. And they're not this gross hot pink colour and it's not like in the shape of a rabbit anymore. (laughs) It's way cooler and way more slick, which I think a lot of women want. Like we want branding that speaks to us and this finally is that. Annabelle, what do you think? Any thoughts? Well, to your point about it being like easily accessible, I bought my first vibrator on Nasty Gal. Yes. (laughs) Like with a shop, with a clothing shop. It's absolutely that. It's like beauty stores and stuff like that who are selling them and they will make so much money by doing that so people can buy a pair of shorts and a vibrator at the same time. I've only ever bought them online. It kills my soul to think that I would go into a store and that's a me thing. I know lots of people love that with their girlfriends but I feel so uncomfortable in a sex store. I am the same though. I think a lot of people feel the same so that accessibility is huge. I mean I think the way that the conversation here can go further is watching the same people who are the faces of these companies particularly people like Lily Allen and Cara Delevingne lift up women and men and non-binary people who have spoken about sex positivity for Mm. decades. I mean, like that is the one thing that I've been thinking a lot while researching this is that there have been people who are doing this probably and often to their own detriment because they've probably copped it for so long and aren't receiving the kind of accolades that people like Abby Chatfield, Cara Delevingne, Lily Allen, Gwyneth Paltrow and Dakota Johnson are. So I think understanding the path that other people have paved in order for us to get here is stupidly important in this conversation. Absolutely. And props to anyone who got on this train before it left the station (laughs) because the sexual wellness market has truly tripled in value between 2014 and 2019. And then think about how much it would have boomed last year in 2020. We don't have the figures yet. But the people who jumped on this early and took those risks before these big celebrities are hopefully have profited from this in some way too. Yeah, there's a lot of money in this industry. I mean, it's projected that the global sexual wellness market will rate $108 billion by 2027. Oh, and it was only worth $23 billion in 2014. So we're not talking out of our asses here. We there, is, <laughs> there are stats to back this up. That is double the value of Selma Hayek's husband if anyone's <laughs> keeping track. Oh, my God. That sounds like nothing now. <laughs> Maybe next step it's a shameless vibrator. Next merch Ooh. next merch thing. No? Sorry, Trish, Trish McDonald will be having a, a conniption here. Like a bit of a heart attack listening. Hey, I think that is all we've got time for today. I think it is. Hey, guys, thank you so much for listening. If you want to weigh in with your thoughts on everything we covered in today's episode, tomorrow we will, of course, be doing Your Safe Friday on our Instagram profile. Our handle is at Shameless Podcast. Come to our Instagram stories. Come vote along in all the polls. Annabelle Lee, anything to add? Um, no. (laughs) Just um, have a lovely day. As always, you know how to support the show. Click follow on Spotify and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. We will be back in your ears on Monday with another In Conversation. Chuck us a five-star review if you like us. If you don't like us, no hard feelings. We can't like everyone. (laughs) We We simply can't. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.